welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me your ears. And if you're watching this on video, thank you for letting me those eyeballs. Today, my man, Jeff Bajorek, Mr. The Why and The Buy, a compatriot in the world of sales and influence, is joining me today on the Sales Influence Podcast. Welcome, Jeff. How are you doing? Oh, great to be here. Great to be here. Fired up to be talking with you again. Um, we spoke offline, not recorded, um, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you gave me the kick in the pants that I needed to get started on some things, and um, the momentum is building, so thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh man, we're going to get into that just a little bit. Hey Jeff, <laughs> let the let the folks let the folks at Sales Influence know. You know how did you get into sales? And then let's talk about the why and the buy. But first of all, let's talk about how did you get into sales? Oh, reluctantly. Um, That's I think, most of us. <laughs> that, yeah, and it's funny. It, it, you know, one very few, if anybody, grows up and says, "You know what? I want to be in sales when I grow up." And it's it's really interesting. Now, almost seventeen years later, I'm thinking, well, I. I can't imagine not selling anything. I, I can't imagine not selling something. And I, I think selling, as I've learned, is really just how you relate to people on a day-to-day -day basis. If you treated everybody like your best customer, one would probably all get along a lot better, but we'd learn a lot about each other. Um, we would challenge each other to be better. We would solve a lot more problems for people. There'd be better, more interconnected relationships. But um, I got into selling because I gave three and a half months notice at my first professional job. So my degree what, is what actually. Was your, what, was your, what was your? Yeah, I was going to ask. What yeah, was your background? My degree is in athletic medicine. So I was working as a certified athletic trainer in a hospital well, for a hospital, and I was contracted to um, a high school to take care of their student athletes. And what I knew was that I wasn't going back for another school year, um, but I had obligations actually with the the boys hockey team um, that summer to do some off ice conditioning and training programs that I had I had written, and uh, I said, "Well, I can't leave these boys hanging." Right, I've been with them for a couple of years. They're they're counting on me. We've got this program built, and I liked my job. I just didn't want to go back and and start another school year. So I I told them in May I wasn't coming back in August, and um, so I had three and a half months. What do you do? You, you give two weeks notice, but I can't go find another job. Right, you can't see, go go hire with another hospital or you know some something like that and just say yeah I'll I'll, I'll join you in in a few months. Um, so I, I kind of had some time, and the hospital I was with was happy to keep me. I was good at what I did. I just you know didn't want to start the cycle again. So a woman sat next to me. Um, she said, "I think you should get into sales." And I said, "Come on, no, that's not me. I I'm not that kind was, of guy." Your, right? what, at the, at that time, what was your first impression of salespeople when they told you, "Hey, you oh. should get into sales"? Uh, just <laughs> pushy. Um, self-interested trying to talk you into things you know trying to talk you into doing things that you didn't want to do um trying to convince you to do things convince is a word i've tried very hard to eliminate from my vocabulary um but we just i I didn't think that was who I was. I, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not someone who likes to go out and be the center of attention and be slapping backs and shaking hands and, and, and doing all that stuff. So I had this preconceived notion of what selling was, and I didn't think that I fit. And um, Rose looked at me. She said, I think you'd be really good at this. I know someone. You're a good fit. I got you an interview. Just dust off your resume. What are you going to do? Will you just take the call? What are you, would you, right? By the way, that's a great question. What are you going to do? Right. She's what are you like, gonna do? You know, what do you have to lose? And I said, no, thank you. Let me let me honor that. 
I'll take the, the, the conversation. One conversation led to two or three more. Um, and I started on the day that that football camp would have started again in the fall uh, here in Michigan. And uh, when I offered, when I got the offer, this was the first big thing that changed my perception. When I got the offer, um, the guy who hired me was, uh, was named Ken. And I said, Ken, I appreciate this. And for some reason, you think I can do this? And um, through the interview process, I, I think I, I agree with you somewhat, but I'm still concerned. I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about the sales cycle. I don't know anything about all this stuff that I'm supposed to know in order to be successful. And he said, here's the thing. I can teach you that stuff. But what I know is that you're a good person. You're a hard worker. You speak the language and you're teachable. And you've been working with some orthopedic surgeons for the last three and a half years of your career that are going to be your customers now. And they all told me to hire you. Like, we'll figure the rest out, Jeff. I said, okay. Wow. And, and wow. I was, uh, that was August 12th, I like 2004. That I, I like that guy already, man. I, I think that's really interesting, right? You speak the language, which you have the background, and mm -hmm. also the, uh, the teachable part, which I think is big today when we talk about coachability. Mm -hmm. So what, before you go any further, so like, you know, you were in the sports, apparently, you know, when you were younger. So you're, you're not totally an introvert, right? You're kind of an introvert. But, or, did, or were you kind of a, an athletic introvert? Maybe we can come up with a new phrase here. Well, I was always a leader. I, I mean, I was I was the captain on my teams. I was, you know, I, I did those things. So I was willing to speak up when it was necessary. I led a lot by example. Um, and I mean, you know, I worked my tail off to be really good. And I, and I worked my tail off to be to be the best athlete, the best player that I could be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but so much of my energy in, in terms of development and everything was um, on on myself. Um, but in terms of being really loud, uh, being the first one to go over and introduce myself or, you know, things like that. Like I can turn the extroversion part on, right? Like when we talk a lot about, you know, giving some of these presentations, these keynotes, these, these just even these meetings virtually, right? The camera gives you no energy back, right? You've got to give it all to the camera. And then all those, you know, nameless, faceless <laughs> avatars that are out there, right? Because sometimes you don't get all the, the, even the people looking back to you. That's work for me. I've got to... I got to, I got to give it and I got to, I, I, I'm capable of doing it, but it's not my natural inclination. So, um, yeah, always been a leader, but, um, yeah, I'm still more of an introvert, much more of an introvert than an extrovert. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, that's a very fascinating perspective. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You come from a, um, the sports side and there is that leadership aspect, which is interesting. We'll get into it further, uh, before we dive into that, cause I want to know how you tied leadership into selling today. Mm. And so you, you got your first job, but you had not sold before you got this first mm -hmm. gig in 2014. You had not sold anything. Right. So, so, so walk me through the process. Okay, you had the pep talk. You know, you're teachable, you're coachable, you know the language. <laughs> Everybody rec recommended you. You're an awesome dude. But at the end of the day, you still got to either pick up the phone and get in that car. Uh, you know, walk me through that process. And the reason I'm asking, Jeff, is because I know there's people who listen to this podcast who, who, are, who are very much like you. Do you know what I mean? They're not mm -hmm. the, hey, what's happening? You know, and let's go talk and be very extrovert. So walk me through some of the, you know, the process that you had to go through and even some of the difficulties just getting going. So it's interesting you mentioned that because um, I went in my first day and I talked to Ken and I said, all right, I'm ready to get going. And he said, all right, here's the thing. I'm not the guy to teach you. I'm, my partner is the guy that's going to coach you. He's going to spend a ton of time with you. I run the business. He runs the people part of the business. I started on a Monday. On Tuesday, 
that partnership separated. <laughs> so now wow. not only not only was the guy who admittedly said, look, I, I have to run the business. I'm not the right guy to, to do this for you. My partner is the partner left. So this guy had to run the business now by himself, handle a separation in his bit. Like it was, it was, I don't blame Kenny for this. And I still see him from, from time to time. Um, but I was kind of, I was like, oh man, I didn't get what I thought I needed. And I didn't get what I was told I would get. So that was huge difficulty, number one. And he did the best that he could. He said, look, I'm going to ride with you. I'm going to show you some of the things that you need to do. Just come on in. This is how you do it. And But I, I understood what was going on. And I think this is valuable too. He showed me how he did it. And I would go on calls with him and I would see him do these magical things. Like just turn this uh, seemingly random conversation into a very persuasive sales call. And I'd look at him and I'd say, how did you do that? He's like, oh, I've been doing it 20 years. It just, it, it's something that kind of comes to you. Just keep working, keep trying. But I didn't quite have the guide that I thought I, I needed. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. several months later, um, we had someone join. He, he brought on another partner. And mm -hmm. um, that partner had a ton of sales experience, but was new to the area. So he knew how to sell, but didn't have access to anybody. I had access to a ton of people because I took over a book of business. It was in field orthopedic sales. I had a great reputation, represented great companies. He's like, Jeff, here's the deal. You have access to people, but you don't know what you're doing. It's like, I don't have access to people, but I know what I'm doing. So you get me in front of people, I'll be there. And so that over the next couple of years, I mean, we were um, you know, not inseparable, but we spent a lot of time together. And so... I'd get that access and I'd be on all those sales calls and there'd be days. What was, this, what, what, what was this guy's name? Well, I'm not allowed to tell you, Victor. This is funny. Okay. Give me, give me, uh, can we call, I'll call him Bob. Okay. We'll Bob's call him cool. Bob. I refer to him yeah. as, I refer to him as he who shall not be named until he agrees to come on the Why and the Buy podcast. And okay. because he refuses and I give him hell every right. single time. So right. um, we'll uh, call him right. Bob. This, 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 yeah. Here's my message to Bob. Bob, stop being a whim. Come on. You can get in front of people. You can get in front of microphones. Stop being a chump. So get up, get out, get out of this podcast. And then definitely I want you on my podcast. That's two you got booked already. Stop being a punk. Come on, get on the call. Anyway, I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, I think there's several things you mentioned in that story before we get into mm -hmm. Bob's story and how that yeah. impacted you. But I, but I think the Kenny thing is interesting because, you know, a lot of people find themselves with a with a uh, a poor onboarding process. In your case, it was pretty much non-existent. So talk about, you know, you know, now fast forward to the future here where we're at right now to the present rather and talk about onboarding and what you would have done if you had to go back in time and do it. How would you have done that? to help the salesperson along from an onboarding perspective? I think there's a lot to be said about um, co-traveling, making co-calls together, right? Like just having someone over your shoulder to be able to critique you. I think there, it was very important that a lot of managers aren't allowing, well, some of them aren't allowed to do, some of them don't allow themselves to do, is really make sure that they spend those one-on-one -on -one meetings on a regular basis to coach, to mentor, um, to check in. Um, and it's very, very difficult in the small, medium business, um, small, medium sized business category because so many leaders are trying to do so many things, but that mm -hmm. you have to be able to invest in and develop your people. Now, here's another barrier that I don't think a lot of people talk a whole lot about is that there are sales reps out there who do really, really well and they grow into natural ownership or leadership positions. They're really, really good at what they do, but they can't tell you why. 
They don't know what it is. They can't codify what makes them so great. And I don't think that's a flaw. I just think it's something that is not recognized. If I, look, you know this, Victor. If you tell someone how to do it exactly the way you do it, very few people will succeed because Victor Antonio is the Victor Antonio. You have honed your craft and developed your own style over the last several years, and you can get away with things that I can't get away with. I can't sell like you. Well, you know what? You can't sell like me either, right? So there's this thing that, you know, if the, I think the best leaders, at least in this, um, in this arena, the ones who can develop their people, they provide the, the understanding of why things work, right? Which, which is one of the things that, that I recognize. It's like, okay, Victor, you said that thing. Why did that work? Why did that work? Mm -hmm. And not get you slapped across the face. I can't believe what you said that, that, that just, I cringe just seeing you say it, but you made that person laugh instead of get angry. That's interesting. Okay. What were the fundamentals that worked there? What were the principles that worked there? Um, a lot of people just, the they, way, they don't I, think I, that way, right? They, they, they I, just, I want to yeah. go ahead. I, no, no, I want to pause you because you're saying so many good things, but you, <laughs> you, I just feel like, whoa, 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 because I, I think what you, you're saying so many good things because I think, you know, the onboarding thing is interesting. Uh, and you're right. Uh, I think ride-alongs, if we can call them ride-alongs, is actually yeah. traveling. That's how I learned. That, mm -hmm. That's a great point also. Uh, and I think what you said, and I use that Bruce Lee phrase when it talks about, you know, when it comes to learning, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and then add what is uniquely yours, right? Which makes you a salesperson. And so I wanted to highlight those because you're absolutely right on that. But I, I wanted to ask you a question because this is a tough question. I don't know if you have an answer for this. I don't, by the way. So okay. just want your perspective. And that is when you look at, again, we're talking about onboarding and coaching. You mentioned today, you know, a lot of these managers don't have time. They simply don't. And so let's acknowledge that. The, so, you know, one is, it's a two-part question. If you don't have the time, what should you do? But maybe a more important question, and this is where the guessing finger to the wind comes in. What do you think the manager to salesperson ratio should be? I've never asked that question. You just prompted me to ask that question because I was like, I wonder what the sales ratio would be. I mean, I would guess, I'm thinking 10, 1 to 10, maybe, if you really wanted to coach. I don't know. I was wondering off the top of your head what number comes to mind. It's less than 1 to 10. Um, and actually, I, I remember uh, hearing this. I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks, but um, Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willings and, and uh, Leif Babin's book, um, he talks about that. He said, do you get more than – and I – it's been a couple of years. I want to say it was eight to 10. And, and I think 10 okay. is not a given, right? You got to be pretty special mm -hmm. if you're 10, but you can only have so many direct reports. And I think, I mean, if you look at the military, right, they've been doing this a long time. They're organized in such a way that the, the command um, is, is spread. And then once that, and this is very important when you have multiple levels of leadership, um, as a, let's just say there's frontline rep, then there's manager, then there's, let's just say director. Um, the director shouldn't have a whole lot of interface with the frontline reps because the director right. should have interface with the managers. And it's it's really, there's only so many ways you can split your attention and there are only so many things you can focus on. What's most important? And if you have 15 direct reports, you have no direct reports, right? <laughs> like, like Jim Collins says, if you, have, <laughs> yeah, if you have more than three priorities, you have no priorities. If you have more than eight to 10 direct reports, you're going to struggle to do everything that's necessary. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think you know managers are overwhelmed and rightly so. Mm -hmm. When you go back to like Kenny's story, you came yeah. on board, his partner left, now it's back to zero. We look at onboarding. What could have Kenny done? By the way, first of all, what do you think Kenny's 
magic was? You said he had this magic, you know, he mm. turned people. What do you think it was that he had? He was, he just, wow, that's, that's, you're, you're stumping me here. He, like, yeah. you just, he, he had a magic about, has a magic. I mean, he just, he's, he's, um, he's very intelligent, very personable, um, and had just been in the trenches and worked with people for so long and people loved him. He's such a likable, charming, charismatic kind of guy and made good things happen, right? Always delivered great results for people. And um, he always looked for ways to deepen the relationships, his best relationships as well. Um, so just, uh, I mean, very intelligent, very clever, very, um, and, and you know, he, he was, he, he always looked to deliver. Um, yeah. he's, he's earned I, think, his I like what you said. For sure. Mm -hmm. I, I like what you said because I think I think that, and you said the word, and I was thinking it is that there's a certain thing that charisma, yeah, right. There's curiosity and charisma. So curiosity, we know, but the charisma is a hard thing to define, right? You know it when you see it. It's like art. You know it when you see it, but you don't you don't know why. And you go, but there's no formula for that. And I think that just takes, you know, like time to mm -hmm. kind of learn that stuff. And so now fast forward to Bob. Yes. So now now you're working with Bob. And so now you have the, the connects, you're prospecting, he has the know-how. How did that relationship work out? Oh, um, people ask me how I learned to sell and I say, drinking beer. And mm. like, wait, what do you, I'm like, okay, so a couple days a week. I actually understand that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I actually understand that. A couple days a week, we'd go and, and Bob lived about an hour away. So Good. he'd come, he'd ride with me in my territory. We'd, I'd schedule these calls you know, ahead of time. Yeah. And uh, we'd have a couple meetings and then we'd go sit down, we'd find a place to grab a bite to eat and a drink. And um, we'd talk. All right, let's start at the top. How to go today, right? He was there the whole time. So, okay, let's, let's unpack that first meeting. What happened here? What do we need to do next? Uh, did you see what happened? Did you see when he said, or no, did, did you see when you said, did you see his, his reaction? Did you read that? What do you think he's thinking at that point? Right. And then what are you going to do next? What do we need to do after that? What does the plan look like? Okay. That's call number one, call number two. And sometimes it'd be two or three beers and we would break everything down. And I think I was thinking about it before we came on this morning. I think there are three questions every rep should ask themselves and be able to answer before any phone call or any well, sales call, meeting, email, whatever. What am I trying to accomplish here? What do I want to ask for? How am I going to ask? If you can answer yeah. those three questions, you're going to move a lot of sales processes forward. Most people, I'm not even going to give you a percentage, Victor, you know mm -hmm. this. Most people can't mm -hmm. answer those three questions, but they're making calls anyway. I was yeah. taught. Most people don't know how to ask. Most people don't know how to ask. I think it was a, I think it was a study by either Forrester or Gartner that said 76% of salespeople don't ask for by the order they met also, also, you know, the commitment to the next yeah. level. So you look at 76%, that's a lot. And so, so, and, and by the way, I want to, em I, I want to emphasize that, you know, it doesn't have to be over a beer, obviously. Right. But, but, I, but I think that those ride alongs tied with the, as you, as you phrase it, the unpacking of what went on. And then it's those subtleties that Bob, the chump who won't come on the podcast said that was very insightful, <laughs> which is like, Hey, uh, yeah, he's listening to this. I'm sure he is. Oh, he will. I'll and put it in so, front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said, Hey, by the way, when that person said this, did you see the reaction? And some, I mean, I've had that question asked by my mentor who I did the same thing. I, I rolled with this guy and he was smooth and he had this charisma that I just couldn't define. I just knew I had to learn how to do that. 
but he would do the same thing, which is to break out the actual sale and say, here's how it work. What are some of the biggest, like, as you were going through the process, if you could think back, what were some of the biggest, I didn't see that. I didn't notice I was mm. doing that. What are some of the things that you kind of said, ooh, that hurts? Um, so I, I have a background in athletic medicine, got into orthopedic sales. And um, when Bob came on board, I started selling total knee and total hip implants. And um, I learned to be very selective about the words I used and when I used them. And um, because when you're, particularly in the United States, this is not the same um, outside of the US, but to, in the United States, my job as the representative for the company was to make sure that the operating room staff had what they needed before the doctor asked for what he or she needed. And I had to anticipate what doctor needed so I could get everybody ready, right? So we're kind of orchestrating some of the workflow. There's a lot of instrumentation and, and specialty stuff. And um, so there's a time to be funny and there's a time to stay quiet. There's a time to be charismatic and engaging, and there's a time to shut your mouth because there is um, a very complicated procedure going on here. And oh, by the way, the most important person in the room is unconscious on that table right now and never, ever, ever forget that. Like that was, that was important. But I learned things like we never have problems, but we occasionally run into issues, right? We don't use the word liability with a, a surgeon. We may have some special considerations that we want to keep in mind, right? But like just words are important. The words you use are very, very powerful and very, very important. And never forget who the most important person in the room is. And that is the end customer, right? Like I had a responsibility in that operating room to make sure that I supported everybody who had direct contact with that VIP. And when everybody, and what that did Everybody in the room knew the most important person was the patient. That means everybody's speaking the same language in this, in, you know, on the same playbook. So there was some, that's subtle, right? The difference between problems and issues, I still very rarely use the word problems. I use issues a lot, right? And it's just semantics sometimes, you know, so when you get into nuance, I, I, that, that's, that's yeah, a big I like, deal. I like, I like when you talk about the, you know, the, the, because I truly believe in this. And you just hit every just like, oh, no, cylinders. And people don't talk about this. It's the selection of words, <clears throat> when to say it, when not to say it. Even the sequence of the words matter. But the, the, the whole thing, and this is going to sound trite to those who are listening, but when to shut up. Just like literally <laughs> when to shut up and be comfortable with silence. Oh, man. You know, when not, you know, just when to hold back. And I, and I think that's a, you know, as, as, as at least I get older, you know, it's become easier. But I think when I was younger, it was really hard to shut up. And I think I was in security. And I felt that I needed to talk. And so one of the things I learned is like, shh, if you say something, just wait for it. It's okay to let the silence sit. And so as you, and it's funny because it, it's all these little things, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it's, it seems like it's all these little things that begin to add up to a great salesperson called Jeff Bajoric. <laughs> there are a lot of little things, um, definitely. And I, one of the things I learned early on, um, talking with another colleague when I was with Bob, um, drinking a beer, actually. Mm. And uh, he said, Jeff, this is something you're going to see. I want you to pay attention to it. It's like, you've only been doing this a year now. He said, but um, you're going to see that there is a startling amount of mediocrity out there that looks like success. If you can just do the work, if you can stay focused, if you can stay diligent, if you can pay attention to details, if you can, you know, show up, do what you're, you, you know, do what you said you were going to do, say what you're going to do and do what you said. 
you're going to do really, really well. Don't be intimidated by everything out there. Just do what you do. Um, to wait, I, I got, I got, I got to pause you. I got to pause you. I got to pause you. This line was so beautiful. I had to write it down. I was like, this is a great line. <laughs> You'd be startled at the amount of mediocrity that looks like success. What did this great Bob mean by that? I kind of know what he meant, but I just want your take on it. What did he mean by that? Well, I mean, on so many levels, you know, in the years since then, I'm thinking about um, so many ways. Like there are a lot of people who put up fronts and they they dress in really nice clothes and they wear nice watches and they drive nice cars. And and, you know, you maybe they don't have a whole lot. Maybe maybe they owe more money than they have. Right. At the same time. But they're putting up the, the look. Um, other people aren't really good at what they do, but maybe they've got a couple really close relationships. And so they succeed despite themselves. You've seen this, uh, Victor, people will succeed despite their own <laughs> skill sets or talent sets or whatever. But I, what I take from that is, and I, I think selling, particularly enterprise selling, and, and even when I was doing, you know, door to door orthopedic sales, right? That's an enterprise sale. I had multiple decision makers, multiple people involved in processes, multiple sales within each sale to make. Um, sales is very much a project management issue, right? And so you've got to make sure that you know what needs to be done next. You got to make sure you know when it needs to be done. You need to make sure that it gets done. You've got to manage a lot of things. It's not just a fly by the seat of your pants. Hey, you got a great smile and a good handshake and people just kind of like you. Like there is a discipline and a process that is at work constantly. And um, you have to have pretty good organizational skills. But just because someone is up there with a great smile and a, and a shine on their shoes and they have a reputation for being everywhere all the time. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily really good at what they do. It just means that yeah. they've re been really good at making it look like they're good at what they do. And I think it's, I, I think, it, I think it's important what you just said though. I think I, again, I've never heard anybody articulate it that way that the, that, that, that sales, especially in the B2B arena, right? Or the enterprise arena, it really is part project management, more so than ever, I think. And, you know, there's, you know, so when, when I see some of these, quote unquote, sales gurus, you know, still, you know, focus on the ABC, I'm like, you're on drugs. It doesn't work that way. I mean, if I could close a deal on one, it'd be great, I, you know, but it doesn't work that way, especially when you got the number of decision makers just increasing. And so I think it was important to say that because I think people listening, you know, they'll see some of these, you know, the smile and the shoe shine folk, right? And they got their act together and maybe they do, but I, but I tell you right now that if there's a salesperson out there has beautiful smile with beautiful shoe shine, uh, he's got a team of people behind him supporting him that really make it work for him. And I think it's important to mention that. What, what was some of your, like, what, uh, this is, this is the part, this part I'd like to get to. I mean, <laughs> what was like your biggest screw up? Like, you know, you're like, oh man, Victor, let me tell you, give me a war story, man. Give me a war story that even makes your stomach turn right now when you think about it. <laughs> Do you have one? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember <clears throat> there was, there was a time when there was a less than optimal outcome in the room. Um, That's so diplomatically put. And, and uh, people, there was a less than optimal outcome. <laughs> and um, the the physician made um, just made a mistake. Happens, and he was really upset about it. And I mentioned the word liable, 
And he's like, and it's just, it's just one of those things. And that kind of goes back to the point that I'm already, that I already made, but um, like there are certain words that even said the right way. And I was able to recover because I, I do believe, you know, our, our friend, um, our, our mutual friend, James Muir likes to say that intent matters more than technique. So I, I think you can get away with some things um, mm -hmm. if your intentions are good, but yeah, I, I learned, and, and this is, there aren't a lot of fireworks in, involved with this. And, um, but th this is the one that pops to my head. Um, first and foremost on the spot here is, is, you know, sometimes you say the wrong thing at the wrong time and you can see your customers, just their blood pressure goes up all of a sudden they're flush and, and, you know, their eyes get big and it's like, Ooh, okay. And, and, um, yeah. I think there's, there's a lot to be said about managing that, that kind of crisis. I, um, I'm trying to think of some times when things didn't go real well. And it's not that they didn't go well. It's, it's not that things don't typically go well. And it's not like I try to eliminate these things from my brain because every time um, things don't go well, you, you got to learn, right? I mean, you've got you to take those lessons and, and you've got to learn. Um, I remember getting slapped on the wrist for maybe doing some things around an operating room, trying to be a little bit more helpful than I should be. Hey, Jeff, don't do mm. that. Don't do that. You can get more. You can get more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, you know. We've... By the way, is it is it isn't it interesting that the best bosses I've noticed? Don't use a lot of words or anger. <laughs> just use tone. <laughs> Don't do that. Do you know what I mean? Don't do. That. Well, when they're, when when they're really angry, <laughs> when they're really angry, there are no words. Yeah, they just. <laughs> I've seen. I you know. I I have one boss like. Uh, let's not do that again, Victor. Just walk away, and you're just like. You know, for the reason, I mean, didn't yell or anything. He just said, let's not do that again. Yeah. Just walked away. I'm like, what the, you know, I mean, I felt, it's like, you know, my wife, my wife does the same thing. She doesn't have to say much. You know what? Let's not talk about this right now. Walks away. And I'm like, oh God, doghouse, three days, penalty box, that's personal right. foul, said stupid thing, clipping into the personal, you know, that's it, into the box. The... Say, Jeff, tell us about, by the way, first of all, I want to acknowledge the fact that you gave me this cool mug here. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Appreciate that. And so tell us about the book because you were nice enough. Look, Je Jeff is such a pro. Jeff <laughs> sent me a, a coffee cup uh, with some coffee from Somalia in there, which I thought, uh, Sumatra rather, I thought was great. Uh, you sent me a copy of your book. In the book, uh, you also, in there was a really nice handwritten uh, card with your business card. I'm like, this guy is just a pro. Everything was branded. I'm like, this guy puts me to shame when it comes to branding. I'm like, God, he's, he's just so much, he's so much more together than I am. So thank you. For, first of all, so thank Stop you for it. making me feel insecure. I appreciate that. But uh, tell us about your book, man. Um, so I've got a, a couple of little books and you know, you know, I've talked about this. I write the kind of books that uh, guys like me like to read. So they're 50 pages or so, and they're very succinct, very to the point. And they even have pictures in them because my graphic designer is tremendous. She does such a great job. And uh, I just love the the kind of, I love her take on the, the on the, the subject matter of the book. But um, the first book. Oh, by wrote, the way, it's well done. I got a big, big shout you. out to her because it's well done and well laid out. I was like, even I was like, See, even his book, even his cartoons are better than my cartoons. I mean, I got cartoons in one of my books, and it just doesn't look like that. I'm like, mine looks so cheesy compared to yours. Anyway, all right. Sorry. <laughs> so I, I wrote a book um, uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic called Rethink the Way You Sell When It Goes Sideways. Um, I found myself writing. I mean, I write on a weekly basis. So I found myself writing um, a little bit to myself because there's always a little bit of me in my target audience, but um, also to people who had no idea what to do next, no idea where to turn. And it's like, okay, when it hits the fan, when everything goes sideways, we got to 
cut everything down. I identify a, a process that really just kind of came to me um, called PAIR, pause, assess, reflect, execute. Funny story about how that came to me. I can get in another time. Um, I said, let's identify what's most important. Let's think about what we need to do. Let's focus on what we can do and not on what we can't. And then let's make sure we go to work. And it's really, um, it was just a, a book that was designed to remind people that, hey, we still have jobs to do. We still have problems to solve for people. The way we go about making our calls and, and helping them may change a little bit, but the fact that we still have to help them doesn't, and we still have work to do. Let's, let's, let's go. How and, did you, um, how did you, how did you apply the, uh, the pair method when the pandemic hit, how did you apply your own formula? P-A-R-E. Walk me through it. Well, when everything is in upheaval around you and you just, you don't feel like you know which way is up, it's important to, to give yourself the permission and then um, force yourself to stop. You have to make the spinning room stop, right? And okay, where are we? We're on firm ground. I'm alive. I'm here. I, we're concerned about maybe some, some illness and, and things like that. How's that going to affect my, my family? And that's where things can start spinning again. So let's just, hey, right now, right here, here we are. S step one. Then let's assess the situation. I, yeah, go ahead. Stick, stick, stick to pause for a little yeah. bit. Why do you think it's hard for people to hit the pause button? Oh, man, because everything we do is bigger, faster, stronger right now, yesterday. And I, I think, um, you know, particularly with the tools that we have and the technology that we have, um, I, 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 I ruffled a few feathers and I said uh, earlier, um, tech doesn't help you sell. It only helps you scale. And you better think about what you're scaling before you do it. And because there are, you know, these platforms that will help you send massive amounts of people the same email and it'll make it feel like it's personalized and um like i think the technology is really cool but if you can't sell the one person sitting right in front of you who's leaning in why are you trying to sell to a thousand people at the same time who've never heard from you like i feel like the cart is put before the horse quite often and um so we've got this what have you done for me lately? And why didn't you hit your number yesterday? Kind of, uh, kind of attitude. We have to, we owe it to ourselves to pause. We owe it to ourselves to recognize where we are right now and think about where we want to go. And, um, I don't I think I love what you said, by the way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the, it's hard to hit the pause, button. I think there's this anxiety, almost, yeah. almost like this neurotic anxiety, to, mm -hmm. but I got to do something. I got to do something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I love what you said, by the way, that technology doesn't help you sell. It does help you scale, but it doesn't help you sell. And that's a big shout out for people who think they're, you know, it's the size of their technologies, you know, stack that matters. I don't think so. So I've, I've paused, you, you paused. And so when the pandemic hit, I, I imagine you just kind of just let, all right, what's going on, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so when you went to the second part of your formula, the assessment phase, you know, what did you start doing there? Started thinking about the clients that I was working with and started thinking about how I could best help them. Um, started thinking about what I was going to need to do to, to try to grow in this pandemic, um, you know, to, to offset some of the clients that couldn't do work with me anymore because they were small businesses and relied on people walking into their stores or whatever and all this uncertainty. And I remember having a couple of deals, one that was um, just getting started with. They said, Jeff, we got to, speaking of pause, we got to pause this, right? And, and there was another one that was just getting ready to start with. And I said, yeah, we, we, we're going to, time out. We're, we love you. We're going to work with you. We got to wait till this goes through. And, um, like, so it was just 
for me, it was just trying to make sure I knew what was important and make sure that I didn't get caught up in that anxiety, in that um, neurotic kind of energy of, well, I got to do something. I have to do, no, you know what? You don't have to do anything right now. You need to take stock. You need to um, identify what's really important. You need to make sure you're thinking about, again, the things that you can do, not the things that you can't. And, you know, what is the opportunity here, really? I mean, because I, I believe, you know, Churchill gets credited with this, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, you know, my biggest fear was that I was going to come through this pandemic and not be better for it. That, mm. that drove me, right? This was an opportunity to learn. This was an opportunity to reflect. This was a real mirror moment for all of us. And, and what I noticed um, was that people were really getting caught up in the idea of what they could and couldn't do without thinking about whether or not they should. And I think yeah. that's the wrong, that's the wrong attitude. I, I love what you said. You, the reminder about, you know, what it, I love that question. What is the opportunity here? Cause when the pandemic hit, you know, first there was that pause and just like vertigo, right? Like what, yeah. what, what's going on? Because nobody knows what's going on, <laughs> but then you do the assessment. I like what you said, you focused on your existing clients. Because I think that was a very smart move because, as you know, it's easier to sell to existing customers than to go try to acquire new ones. So I love that. And I think you're absolutely right. I think people had different reactions. I always say the fight, flight, or freeze mode, right? People fight, hey, I'm going to figure this out. The fright people are just going to just shoot. The flight people are just going to like, you know, just get smaller, which is never a strategy. And then there's the freeze people who don't do anything. And so how did you, like, so you're in the assessment mode. Right. And so you've assessed this. Mm -hmm. What's the next step? What's your what's your mindset now? OK, I, I see what's going on now. What I do. Well, the next step then is to to reflect. Planning is really what that is. It's, you know, what are my options? What, what is the opportunity? What do we have here now? What are my options? What can I do? And what did it mean that I had to do? OK, if, I, if, if my biggest client were to go away, what would that look like? And then how would I recover? Right. And now let's make sure that they don't go away. But, you know, what is the, the backup plan? It's just a it, it's all triggered by the pause. Right. You got to give yourself the space to, to think about this stuff. But, um, you know, reflecting on what your options are and then, then choosing the small handful. Right. The two or three really to, to execute on, which is the, the last step in the in the, the pair process. Um, but I, I thought, OK, great. I've should I build some stuff online? I've got a community online that I could that could definitely lean into a little bit. That's harder to do than most people will tell you. It's definitely harder to do than most people will make it look. Um, but okay, that's an option. All right, I feel better about that. I'm energized by that, right? Like that's the thing. When when people don't feel like they have any place to go, they don't feel like there's another option. They don't feel like they have a secondary, tertiary plan to to continue to to move forward. That's when they panic. And panic is the opposite of pause. I say that in the book. I say you can't panic. That's the wrong P. Hold on, we're getting off on the wrong on the wrong foot here. So, um, as I reflected on what my options were, I felt better, I felt calmer, and um, I think that's what people will do if they enable themselves or, or give themselves permission to do that. Yeah, I think there. I think there's there is solace in the execution. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean, is that when you're doing something, it's when that part of your brain, the amygdala just kind of calms down, right? Because you're doing something, you know, that whole jitteriness at the beginning before the pause, you need to do something. But as you move through your process, and you get past reflection, you said, all right, now let's execute something. And then we all know it's an iterative process, right? We're not going to get it the first time. And so I think that stops a lot of people from going. So as you know, what, what are some of the things you see today in selling? Okay, so now we're kind of a year into this pandemic, almost, right? Yeah. 
And so what are you seeing? What, what are some of the changes? What, what, what's coming, man? What do you think is happening? Ooh, if I could tell you what was coming, you and I would be on a beach somewhere because we'd know. <laughs> a private beach, yeah, six feet of distance, we'd be good. <laughs> um, I, I think what we're seeing is um, people are reluctantly and begrudgingly realizing that they still have work to do because we're a year into this pandemic and we're still not out of this pandemic. And I think so many people held on to the idea where it's only going to be a couple months. We'll just put our feet up for a little bit, be kind of a forced vacation. We're going to get through. It's going to be okay. And then everything will get back to normal. Um, no, no, that's, and, and quite frankly, you know, we've got vaccines rolling out. Um, this is the biggest logistical project that's ever been seen across the world. And the idea that it's going to go seamlessly and flawlessly is funny to me. So we know the light at the end of the tunnel is there. We just still don't know how far away it is and we don't know what it's going to look like on the other end. And so I think people are getting back to this idea. Well, I guess I still have work to do. All right. I guess I have to do more meetings over zoom or, you know, Google hangouts or, or meet or whatever. And, um, they're figuring it out. And I think that the people who recognize that earlier are way ahead. And I think right now, if you're listening to this, if you're still on the fence about whether or not you need to figure it out, you will still have an advantage over the hundreds of thousands of people who are still begrudging um, their 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 situation right now. Um, you know, Victor, I I think it's a good thing in in, in most ways, but um, you know, I never had a base salary. I've never had a base salary in sales. And there are, I think there are reasons to give people that. And so I'm not, I'm not arguing that, but I think that in kind of my formative years as a seller, it's like, man, if you're not selling something, you're not eating. And I've got a wife and two kids who still really like me. And I know that they like it when the heat's on and there's food on the table, right? So that's on me to figure, figure these things out. And I don't, didn't have the opportunity ever to sit back and say, well, at least my base will cover me this month until what, I mean, I'm looking two, three months ahead all the time. And, um, I, I just, I, maybe that'll I'm keep you that. going. I mean, that, 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 that'll keep you going, man. That, that, you know, it's, it's, you know, I did a show, I, I don't know if you know that I did a reality show yeah. called life or dead. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in there, you know, we talked about the number 75% of American families have been paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And I think there, there's something in what you're saying as well, because I think a lot of that anxiety comes when you don't have your, I guess your financial act together. And I think this gets back to what you said earlier about people who look like they have it all together, but when you really kind of scratch the surface, they don't have a lot together. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think this is another, like, you know, just another reminder in life that says, you know, try to get some financial stability under you because I think, yeah. you know, and by the way, if you're a great salesperson, you can sell, you know, you know, rain, snow, or, you know, shine, doesn't matter, then great. But in this environment, I think it, it's tough. And I think, but but yet some industries are just booming. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you've noticed that some industries, what have you seen from industries that, you know, are, are really just cranking out there? Um, I think they're they're able to be present enough to recognize the opportunities that they have. Right. I mean, look at Zoom. I mean, we've, we've connected over Zoom a couple of times. The, the um, did they know that they were, did they know that this was coming? No. Were they ready for it? I don't know that they were ready for it, right? There were some issues along the way, if you follow that company's very public history with this pandemic. Um, but, 
you know, look, where there's crisis, there's also opportunity. It doesn't mean that opportunity is easier to deal with sometimes, right? So um, I think that's an interesting kind of way to look at it. Like no one gets lucky in a situation like this. I mean, some people are more fortunate than others, right? But you still have to take advantage of those opportunities and you still have to be, you know, I don't, I don't think you can plan for things like this as a business. Um, but when you recognize the opportunity in front of you, I think you have to be able to think through the opportunity. You have to develop a plan and you have to execute on it. It's a project to manage. It always is. Um, yeah. By the way, it's interesting that you said something about luck. Uh, I don't believe in luck, but, but I believe a lot of companies are being lucky you know, as a consequence mm -hmm. of what's going on, sure. you know, so the, I mentioned that the pool industry has just taken off mm -hmm. the pest control industry, anything has to do with residential sales contracts yep. taken off because people are spending more time at home. Yep. Who would have saw that coming, but they were ready. That's the good thing to point out. They were ready when all this hit, not because it was planned. It just happened to be that way. And that's luck. And so again, you can't plan for it, but when it happens, it's a good thing, oh, man. It's a good thing. We, you know, um, I have a, over here in my office, I have a water rower, right? Because I, I stopped going to the gym. We've got some a higher risk profile in my house than, than some other people do. So until people can spend more time outside, right? And we don't have, you know, and I live in, in Michigan. It's cold today. Um, you, you know, I, I tried to bring the gym to my house, you know, and it took me two months to order a rower. Like I had to order it and it took them two months to be able to build it and send it because they're, they're, um, the, the, the demand was so high. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like, so there's certainly good fortune to be had. Um, it's not, it's certainly not a zero sum game, but I mean, there's, there's good fortune to be had. Um, but we've heard about those, those times when businesses weren't prepared for it. How many stories have you heard, Victor, of, you know, Oprah deciding that this is one of her favorite things and then orders shoot through the roof and it actually drives a company out of business because they don't have the infrastructure to support it. It's like, oh my gosh, right. there were too many people wanted your stuff. Like so many people wanted your stuff. You had to fold. <laughs> like, wait a second. Yeah. But that's a, a, by the way, that's a whole it. other conversation. Yes. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so, so to close this out, Jeff, yeah. I mean, when you look at selling today, mm -hmm. you know, given the environmental changes that are happening right now, literally environmental changes that are happening now, you know, what are some of the things that people need to start doing to be better at selling, man? Just some of the, you know, the blocking and tackling, if I can use the sports analogy on that one. Oh, love it. Um, I go back to my five forgotten fundamentals of prospecting. Know what you bring to the table. Know who you should be talking to. You have to create tension. You have to demonstrate expertise and you have to keep your swagger. That's been something that I've been writing about and talking about for since I started my business almost six years ago, like this is hard. There are going to be peaks and valleys. There are going to be ups and downs. Um, but you got to remember that the journey is worth taking, that the difficulty means something and that every challenge presents an opportunity. And when you can see the little victories, you know, I, I tell people, uh, and I, I mentioned this at the end of, um, of sideways, I said, when it feels like the world, when everything's going sideways and it feels like the world's upside down, you just got to find a way to keep moving forward because no step is too small if it's headed in the right direction. So just make sure that you are, that you, you know what you bring to the table, what's unique, how you can help people that in, in ways no one else can, who's going to resonate with that and make sure you're always out there in front of people. Make sure you're always out there advancing things. Two things you can do to sell more. Spend more time selling and make sure you're advancing the sales process every chance you get. You keep doing that, you're gonna do well. Yeah, I like, I like the whole thing about taking small steps. You're moving, you're doing something. I, yep. think, I think it's inertia that kills us. Oh. So anyway, Jeff, let these folks know where they can find out more about you, brother. Oh, um, my website, jeffbajorek.com. 
pretty straightforward. Um, that's my home on the internet. I don't know when this is going to run, but like February 18th, it's going to be brand new. So if you hear this before February 18th, go and then go back again after February 18th. Um, but I'm building a community at rethinktheWayYouSell.com. And we're having fun there. The community's growing. It's small right now, but it's still growing. And there's a lot of interaction going on there. It's really not just about my content and about sales, but it's about what it's like to be in sales. So we're taking the, I, I think it's the, uh, it's the community aspect that a place like LinkedIn or Twitter just can't offer anymore because social media is what it is. There's a lot of promotion going on there. I take advantage of it, but um, in, in terms of really meeting and interacting with people, that's what I'm building at RethinkTheWayYouSell.com. Love it, man. So rethink the way you sell. And Jeff, thank you very much. And that is it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave us some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you find us. Love to hear your feedback, your commentary. So after you go to, uh, what was the title again? RethinktheWayYouSell.com. RethinktheWayYouSell.com. Go to RethinktheWayYouSell.com. After that, check out the Sales Velocity Academy, over 50 courses, 500 videos. If you want to increase, increase your sales velocity, this is Victor Antonio with my man, Jeff Bajoric. Always reminding you, selling ain't hard when you know how. Take care, folks.